From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work-from-everywhere economy. Some of my favorite stories in businesses are people who have amazing projects, amazing ideas, but they come up against friction when people say they're not quite ready for market or they aren't just right yet. And this was the case for our guest, Joe LeMay. Joe is co-founder of an amazing company called Rocketbook, and they make these reusable notebooks that you can actually write in with regular pens, but then through a lot of different mechanisms, erase the ink after you have digitized the contents. And not only are you taking a picture of the contents, but you're able to have those turned into digitized type and they can go to all of our cloud spaces in the world from you know Evernote to Slack to Google Drive and so many other places. And it does all automatically. But uh, Joe had the amazing fortune of bringing his project onto Shark Tank after he saw significant success through crowdsourcing. And you know, it's the dream. You have this amazing product. It's selling like crazy. You bring it on Shark Tank and he got five no's. Five no's, which could, for many folks at home who are coming up with products, might feel like the end of the road, like it didn't quite make it. But it turned out that Joe and his partner, Jake Epstein, they ended up going way further than that and became one of the all-time success stories of life after Shark Tank uh, heroes, where they didn't get funded there. Uh, they didn't give away big chunks of their equity, but instead launched from that Shark Tank, where now I'm sure all the sharks would love to jump in on this incredible story. So as you're listening at home and you have a chance to kind of picture and hear the journey that Joe takes us on, I want to invite you to imagine your journey and your product and your project. And where in your stage of development are you? And how can you take the lessons that Joe shares and apply them directly in such a way that you not only overcome whatever friction you're up against, but you actually create a product or a service that delights people at such a level that they just wish they had thought of it. They wish they had gone that extra mile. And I have a hunch by the end of this conversation, you're going to find a lot of motivation to find your oomph to go your extra mile. Joe LeMay, welcome to Converge. Hey, thanks so much, Dan. Great to be here. Joe, your story is just, it's kind of every creative entrepreneur's dream to go from discovering a problem in your real life and finding a buddy and creating solutions for those kinds of problems and then realizing that isn't just a problem for you, but it's a problem maybe for a few other people and then making that thing, that tool that could make a difference and selling millions of dollars worth of that tool and realizing <laughs> you actually solved a problem for thousands, if not millions of people. And then, you know, the the ultimate to bring that solution to the masses through a vehicle like Shark Tank and and to uh, become legend in that world. It's funny, I was I was reading some of the comments of folks like uh, the, of the sharks of of Kevin and Barbara and Robert and Lori and Mark and how they they just saw this as like Amazing, 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 but 
none of them invested. And yet it's gone on <laughs> to become like one of the biggest non-invested in projects that the sharks missed on and you you hit it big. So just talk a little bit about your story, your project and and what kind of a difference you've seen it make for so many people. Yeah, sure. So thanks thanks for that for that intro. Wow. So I'm the the co-founder CEO of, of Rocketbook and you know our core product today is the Rocketbook Everlast, which is a paper and pen notebook. But it's not just a paper and pen notebook. It's reusable, so you can write on it with a any pilot friction pen, which is a very regular pen that you can get nearly anywhere, and you can wipe it off with a little bit of moisture and it can be reused endlessly. And then there's a an app that we've invested a ton in. So when you use the app to scan in the page, it instantly organizes them for you in the cloud and transcribes them for you and you know brings all of your your writing into the digital world without the book itself having any hardware or the pen having any hardware or batteries whatsoever. So as you're writing, it's a totally, you know, ordinary notebook experience for the most part. And then you use the app to start to sweep it into the cloud and, and get your life into the cloud where all of our information is, is organized. And we really launched in 2015, early 2015 um, on crowdfunding. And today, you know, less we've shipped about 2 million product, a little over 2 million products, uh, oh, wow. of which last year. So we're on a good growth trajectory. And yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy ride. We're continuing to, to launch, you know, other Everlast, you know, style products as well as other products as well. And it's just been, uh, you know, it's been a, a really interesting adventure for sure. Well, interesting adventure is a massive understatement. I mean, 7,000% funded 28,000 backers on your first project. I mean, that is, that is every, there are literally thousands of people tuned in to hear this conversation who are going, if I could wave a magic wand, that would be it. That they would take their thing, their creative, and put it in in a position where it would not just solve their problem, but solve millions of other people's problems. And it didn't just end with that first launch, because I think that was the, that was the Rocketbook wave at the beginning, isn't that right? Where you, you could actually microwave the, the ink off the page, and then you transitioned and, and extended your market to the Everlast. Talk a little bit about those different projects. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, that was, that was me too, before starting Rocketbook. I would, I was mesmerized with the idea of being able to come up with a product that I could sell on, on crowdfunding. I thought Kickstarter and Indiegogo were just like incredible that, you know, a large swath of people could pull up their credit cards and put trust in, in someone to, to build a product and then accept delivery later and, and fund a project. And I've, I've I had always been, you know, watching and lurking and, and wondering if I could ever come up with an idea to crowdfund because I just I thought it was just like so amazing that an entrepreneur could do it that way and and for the most part not have to take on typical investors and get their mm. their buy-in, but really just go to the customer and then own the company potentially if you could bootstrap it. And you know that those for years I, I was you know trying to think of a, a way to, to crowdfunding for sure. Eventually, actually, the, the first crowdfunding campaign that I ran was before Rocketbook. It was for what is uh, what was called Rocket Board, uh, and it failed. Um, it was an app that I was I was building, and it was really just an app. So one of the things that I, I learned pretty quickly is you know Kickstarter and Indiegogo are great for for gadgets and physical things or amazing experiences, but not so great to to develop an app. More, uh, so that was pretty hard, and that that 
crowdfunding campaign failed, but I kept developing what was this product, Rocket Board, but then was running out of money. And I'll get to, to what that is because we've actually taken that, that product and we've relaunched it and had a very successful uh, product and campaign, which we're calling Rocket Book Beacons. But back to your original question, which is the, the Rocket Book Wave, the first product that we launched on Kickstarter. So I had this vague idea for a notebook that was just a notebook, but you could use a scanning app and it would have proprietary you know, markings on the pages to make it easier. So it wasn't just a scanning app. It would, you know, based on where you'd mark the page, when you scanned it in, boom, it would go right to its folder and its proper destination. So if you're a, if you're a student, you scan that thing in and you mark the, a symbol on the page, boom, it's in your math folder in Google Docs without you having to press the share button and open up Dropbox and find the folder and the subfolder and all of that stuff. Mm. So I had that idea um, and started working on really just a video to, to make it real. And you know, I, I brought this up to a buddy of mine, Jake Epstein, who, who's now my co-founder, who's you know, a lifelong inventor and, and startup guy and hardware guy, et cetera. And he and I were having some beers at Sligo Pub in, in uh, Somerville, it's a real dive bar. And I kind of pitched him this idea to see if uh, he thought it, thought it was something I should work on, you know, as I, as I would do to my friends. And man, he, he jumped on it, he thought it was a great idea, and we, we were riffing all night over, over beers, and the next day we shook off our hangover and got to work together on it. <laughs> a, a few months later, we, we launched the crowdfunding campaign for it, and in that time, we kind of came up with some clever ways to, to make the book reusable, since you're scanning all your notes and they're organized in the cloud, why, why do you need the hard copy? Let's make a sustainable product as well. Uh, and so the, the product we came up with was the Rocketbook Wave. You take that, the way you reuse it is you pop that in the microwave, it all erases, comes out, and you can use it over and over. And just the, the, the sheer novelty of being able to erase a whole notebook in the microwave probably gave that a lot of legs. When we launched that, uh, originally on Indiegogo, we were on stage at the launch festival in in San Francisco's 2015, and you know that night we we did a few grand worth of pre pre sales, and the next day, uh, you know maybe ten thousand dollars, and that felt pretty awesome. But then that Saturday morning, you know we were staying in an Airbnb out west, and we woke up, and those notifications that that Indiegogo gives you when you get a new backer, when you get a new pre sale, they had been coming in, you know. Once every few hours, something like that. But then we woke up that that morning and just it was like all hell broke loose. It was like bing, 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 bing. We thought something was wrong with our phones, and it stayed like that all day. And we did about ninety nine thousand dollars worth of pre sales, and we just looked at each other and we're like, oh my god, I think maybe we're onto something. And we set up the drawing board and make this actually make this product because at that point we had some prototypes and we had um, some some decent you know, low budget videos that made the project seem good and attractive, but actually turning it into a safe and reliable product um, and get the supply chain going and our fulfillment center going so that we could ship out, you know, 20,000 products to the first uh, pre-purchasers of this was a huge undertaking. We were, we were like nine months late in, in delivering it, getting basically death threats because people thought we were never going to deliver on this crowdfunding campaign, but we finally got it all right. Uh, everything from you know safety testing to uh, to, to fulfillment and, and all of those you know parts of the supply chain got it out to people, and people were generally like really excited. And it was just the first version 
Um, and we just kept grinding on, on making it better and better and better. And then during that process, we, we tested every type of paper that we could get our hands on for manufacturers uh, in the microwave, with writing experience, et cetera. And we, we stumbled upon some properties between synthetic papers and Luco dyes. I'll spare you all those details. But we realized we had another product there, but we had to shelve it. And a couple of years later, we came back to it and, uh, and we launched the Everlast, which then you know, was, was multiples as big as a crowdfunding campaign and is now you know, 90% of our sales. And it's, wow. it's a really great product in terms of it really delivers on the reusability aspect. People are giving it raving reviews. I think I heard that you had one as, as well. And it's, it's just we're seeing it being adopted from you know, professional organizations, adopting it in, in, their, in their enterprises, for classrooms, et cetera. And we feel like we still have a long ways to grow and a lot to do, but we're seeing some really promising growth that we're excited about. Well, yeah, I don't just have one. I have, I have a couple. I have a big one and a, an executive one. And, and I, it's funny, I'd love right. just, it's, we, we've already chatted about this, but for our listeners at home, my story with it was I'm pretty geeky and uh, friends of mine make fun of me regularly, which is a good sign of a kind of a wanna geek. And I get, yeah. I get stuff, tools that, the right tool for the job. And uh, my daughter, she's uh, you know just graduating high school. She's amazing. She loves me. She wanted to get me something special, wanted to speak my love language. And she stumbled on on the rocket book and she got it for me. And, and she was just so excited that she got me something that I hadn't seen before. And I, I remember getting it and thinking like, like what you said earlier, like it was novel. It was, but is it, was it a gimmick or was it just clever or was it actually going to help me practically in my day-to-day life? And um, I remember I got, after I, I got it and registered it. I got an email saying so about a month later, like, How, how's it going? Are you liking the product from you guys? And and I wrote back and said, well, it's cool, but I haven't quite figured out how to work it into my workflow yet. And so I gave it like a seven out of 10 and your crew reached out right away. And which is also another great sign. I want to talk about the whole of your business, not just the success part of it. But uh, you reached out and said, this is great feedback. You know, wh- where do we miss it to get you to, to a 10? And I went, well, actually, it seems actually really cool. I just haven't figured out how to work it. And that triggered me to actually go, well, if it did work in my in my workflow, how would it? And I started playing with it. And I, I had the big one, uh, kind of the this big eight by eight and a half by 11 size. And I started using that and I was like, I, you know, what would be really helpful is if they had a smaller one. I didn't even know you had the smaller one, kind of the executive style. So I go on and sure enough, you have it. And I buy a second one. And I traveled to, I go back and forth to London quite a bit for work. So I was at a bunch of meetings and it, it was the the combination of the analog with the app that made it go, oh my gosh, this is so a no brainer. Like I, there's a lot of cool apps that I use, like an Evernote and things I can scan. But this idea of like writing with my, with an actual pen and having it be digitized later and searchable later and have it instantly go up to all of my cloud-based solutions from, you know, from Evernote to, to Drive to, uh, you know, all the different options that are out there to Google. Um, and I, I found myself just kind of amazed. And what was even more fun was every time I'd scan my notes and I'd get out a little damp cloth and I'd wipe my my notes down, everyone around me freaked out. Like I get why it's so viral for you because people are like, what are you doing? You're erasing your notes that you just spent two hours writing. I'm like, I'm not erasing anything. I'm actually, I'm freed up. I have, you know, one less big pad of empty pages to carry around than you do. 
And it's why I probably sold 50 of them since I started traveling with them. But I cannot tell you how this is not a gimmick. Like this is an actual power tool for people to use with regularity. And and I love that you've expanded it. Like you've taken these technologies and what started off as a, oh, wait, there's another option here, but let's shelve it until we get this project done right. And even your new projects, which I want to get to before we're done, I think is super, super cool um, with your rocket board. But to come back to your story of seeming failures and seeming and, and absolute successes and kind of the ebb and flow of how that worked out practically as a business owner, talk a little bit about both like the, that first effort at crowdsourcing that was discouraging and it didn't work out to the kind of euphoric, oh gosh, we, we hit the big time. This is awesome to, oh crap, now we got to deliver and you said you got death threats. That's 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 crazy. And then and then to go again after such a massive success to to roll the dice one more time and then to do it again. Talk a little bit about that seasickness temptation and and what it takes as a business owner to go again when when it feels daunting and maybe beyond your depth for the moment you're in. Yeah, you're you're kind of bringing me back to like what we refer to as the dark days of of Rocketbook when. You know, it was really just, well, for, first of all, before Rocketbook even came to existence, there was a time when it was just me trying to make this product rocket board work. And, uh, you know, we, I had, um, you know, ups and downs. I mean, an up would be like, hey, we got a bunch of people to sign up for this product. Amazing. And then nobody retained whatsoever. The, the product itself, it would basically what it was, was made to do is to, to you'd point the, you'd open up the app, point it at any whiteboard. And then it could stream the contents to anyone live in real time. So it was doing a fair amount of computer vision and streaming. And even if people could get it to work, it would get really hot uh, because it was, you know, back in the day, what were, you know, iPhone, you know, two or three at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so well, you, were, you, know, he- you were ahead of your time. You had vision for things that didn't exist yet. And you were making it for people with the existing technologies. Yeah, but I, I'd like to uh, I'd like to think of it that way. But it, at the time, it just felt like <laughs> it just <laughs> you know, and I even got a, a company to you know who who even knew like that of its deficiencies, but they they paid about five thousand dollars because for use of it, just because they wanted to get behind it and they wanted mm-hmm. to, to succeed. They were a small consulting company and they wanted to use it and wanted to support me. And so there was like encouraging things, but it was just I couldn't face the fact that it just wasn't growing and I couldn't retain customers. And um, I just I just had to like think like how am I? I can't raise money for this thing yet. Uh, it's got no traction, but we've, we being me and a few developers that I, that I hired, you know, we, we had built some really decent computer vision technology that I, I thought maybe we could apply this in a different context or something like that and figure out a way to make money off of this before I have to like literally go personally bankrupt. And I was just a few months away from that. And, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I kind of closed my laptop, took some long walks with, with, keeping a notebook on me as, as I would sometimes do just to kind of jot down ideas and go for hikes. And, and I think just taking a break from the busyness of work is really essential to like giving your subconscious the ability to stew on things and to have ideas. And, um, you know, the semblance of what is now Rocketbook came into my head at that point. I can't even really remember exactly when it was, but I, re- I, I remember the month. I think it was like November and it started to grow and I started to think, well, how do I make this real? The first thing I did is put together a video that kind of faked it as if it was a real product so I could show it to people. 
and it was a, a really, you know, schlocky video, but it, it got the point across. And I, you know, I showed it to a bunch of people, got more feedback on it, um, just went to my personal network and started to talk to as many people as I could about it to battle test the idea and um, and see how it could be improved and just to inform myself so I could think about ways to improve it. By the time I talked to Jake, I had a fairly well, you know, still still vague, but a decent idea of what, what the product could be. And then the other thing that was really important is like finding that co-founder who, you know, can be in the be in the trenches with you when when you are in those dark days and can battle through it i think is is incredibly important mm -hmm. and you know for us was a huge you know when we got jake on board was probably the one of the biggest keys to, to our success and still is today just having a good founding team and a good management team now built around that as well is is tremendously important is a big challenge all, all the time mm -hmm. so then we, you know, we got this amazing success on Indiegogo and um, had hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank account to work with, uh, but really couldn't get, we could get um, a book to, to erase in a microwave, in a few microwaves pretty reliably, but then if you tried another microwave, it might burst into flames, mm. right? So really getting it to work in all microwaves practically around the globe was a huge challenge for us. And I'm talking thousands of hours sitting there in, in Jake's you know office and garage over at his house, just grinding, grinding through it and testing and being kind of like you know Tom Edison, you know trying every material and every combination, and finally, finally came up with uh, you know a combination of a system and, and a product and components that that would work reliably, and uh, and that was just amazing when we got that figured out. But then. Uh, of course, we we went to get it all produced, and we went to a printer, and there were there were defects in the first manufacturing run mm. that were that were crazy that you know we we didn't anticipate, but we we made the you know had a big negotiation with the printer to have it redone. Then when it came time to ship it out to to customers, we didn't really know what we were doing. We didn't have a proper fulfillment house, so we didn't really have a great way of of knowing whether someone got their product and. You know, managing all the customers, and we didn't have great customer service. You know, you said you were impressed with the survey you got of the customer service. Mm. Back when we were early, we had all we could do just to focus on making a product that worked minimally well, mm. and we were pretty neglectful of our customers in the early days, just because we we just had to be in pure triage, like of of like trying to save this business and get it into a state where it was a, where the product could even be viable. Um, where you know people would email, and we just couldn't get back to people to answer their questions um, and focus on the product at the same time. So I'm sure we irritated a lot of our early customers, which is a bummer. But you know when we shipped our our first product and when we you know built up our customer service, you know more. You know we we think today we're 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 doing a good job in customer service, and it's a it's a core part of our our um, you know our success today as well is listening to customers. Every single customer after you. Uh, scan in your first page right now about 10 days later you'll get a survey from us um, you know would you recommend zero to or one to ten would you recommend this to a friend and all of that gets turned into a an aggregate net promoter score that I that I and my team look at um, on a weekly basis mm -hmm. and our customer service team goes through every accolade and complaint and we put that into a big uh, spreadsheet as well and we start working on what are what are people complaining about is it you know, is it the way the cover is? Did they not get a pen in it? You know, what went wrong? And what can we make sure to put quality control things in place to make sure that we're edging up, you know, everyone's experience, every 
you know, in, in, in the last quarter, by doing that, we were able to increase our net promoter score by over five points in our customer base because we're just trying to make it better and better and better and listen to our customers every single day and turn that into, you know, a driver for a business. Yeah, there's so much in what you're sharing that I want to slow the train down just for a sec to talk about. Um, sure. One is uh, just the long view of the product. Uh, in reading through the quotes from the sharks when you went on Shark Tank back in 2017, uh, it was interesting to hear, and this is kind of the the high level bit. Like, so Kevin, his f- feedback was he was nervous that it was it was cool but crazy. Uh, and struggled with the idea of making money off of a reusable product. And then Barbara said, funniest, wackiest, most ridiculous thing she's heard of in a long time, worries that it could be viewed as a gimmick. Uh, Robert didn't get it. Lori likes that they reinvented the notebook, but feels that there are too many steps involved. Initially, called, Mark called it brilliant, but couldn't envision a rocket book future. And it's so funny because, number one, they were all wrong across the board. Uh, but it seems like you actually added value to the product by methodically getting your foundation set, like the product needs to work well, but then also going again and, and investing in in your fulfillment house, going again and investing in your customer service, looking at your net promoter score every week and deciding the product isn't just the product, the product is the whole experience that people have and that you could actually build a future for Rocketbook way more than just the product itself, but these other critical pieces to make the leap to cross the chasm and to stay a, a viable company, not just a viable product. Talk a little bit about, about that kind of leadership and culture that's required. And even the pacing maybe of when do you start concerning yourself with those things? And and how did you guys actually pull that off? All right. Let me, let me start to parse a, there's a few questions there. So if, if I were to be talking to an entrepreneur today and they're just starting with, with yes. a, a product that's highly differentiated, um, and maybe they, they say, hey, I'm, I'm really bummed out because I can't get back to all my customers and focus on my product. I, my advice to them would be, sorry, uh, like focus on the product. Most of your customers in the first year are going to churn no matter what. Most of that is going to be because your, your first version of your product is no good. Mm. And all the customer service in the world it's not gonna isn't going to fix that. Right? right. But then once you have a decent product and you, you know, you've iterated on it a few times, um, hopefully you know the people who've been – who are early on some segment to them are, are believers and they'll, they'll stick with you. A lot of them may maybe have churned, but you know, there's a big population out there. So now start to invest once you have a, a decent product to, to, to kind of scale and now invest in, in customer service. So unless you have, you know, good VC funding um, or a lot of, a lot of money, I, I wouldn't, you know, make someone feel too bad that they haven't invested in customer service from the very beginning of their, of their, um, of their product because it's going to be rocky no matter what for the for the customer, but um, I think you're you're asking as well a little bit about at Shark Tank pe- people's reactions and 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 you know and they didn't take it seriously and yet you have to understand at the time their feedback we took pretty seriously. Mm. At the time we only had our Rocketbook Wave microwave to erase notebook right which. Which is surely has a gimmick to it. You put the thing in the microwave, it erases. It's like <laughs> right? it's an amazing gimmick, but it's a gimmick nonetheless. Yeah. And hear them say, "Well, we're not sure. We're just not sure if all your pre-sales and your two months of sales on Amazon so far is a uh, is a gimmick or not." We're like, "Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I I can't say for sure. We haven't had you know a year or two in business to to prove that." You know this this growth we've had is going to then you know plummet to the ground or or continue, but we just took it on faith that we could build a product that would surely 
live beyond any gimmickry and provide a ton of value to customers. Um, and so we just kept focusing more and more on the product and iterating more and more on the product and creating, you know, a, a good, good digital application, which we still, you know, invest a ton in, you know, every day here, uh, and have a, a pretty sizable engineering and product staff as well as a physical product where constantly trying to improve and make it more and more useful for, for customers. So we really never feel like we're done on the product. It's, it's a living, breathing thing that we're trying to grow and grow our community and customer base with it. So helpful on so many fronts. And forgive me for the, the multi-faceted uh, questions. Because what, what I heard was, you know, job one is make a killer product. And in a sense, the product comes before the customer at the beginning, is what I'm hearing you say, that some customers are going to churn anyways. They're probably early adopters. They're not going to be the, the big fat part of the bell curve anyways who are going to make your product, even though they're so critical, those pioneering early adopters that invest in you, your gratitude is super high for them, but you understand that what's really going to make them super believers is that the product is fantastic. And then once it is, I heard you say, then that's the moment to really invest in customer service and and for a couple of reasons, one, to keep customers happy, but really to learn. Uh, and this is kind of the insights that you got from folks like the Sharks, uh, that you were in a perpetual state of like, we have more to learn here than we've accomplished so far. And then as those learnings come in and you make the product better, you actually have a chance now to, to really build an experience for your customers and really build a company beyond that. Am, am I hearing you uh, a little bit in the flow? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I can't emphasize enough the the part of um, you know, turning that that customer connection into customer insights. You know, we we have a few ways that we that we do that here. You know, one is we maintain a, a like an upvote board on features and new products that our all our customers give us suggestions on features that they would want to see yeah. at ideas.getrocketbook.com, and we we pay serious attention to that. Like the survey that you got, that drives our our product priorities as well. And we even get customers involved in the product development process. You know, early on when, when we have something, we're going to release it potentially on crowdfunding or another channel. Before we do that, we put together a Rocketbook Labs video where Jake and I tend to debate how something should work in the product um, and put that out in a video and have the comments inform who won the debate and how the product should work mm. um, and get them involved in that process as well. And, and make it really fun and, and a fun way for, you know, our core, you know, fans and, and people who care about uh, Rocketbook to, to get invested and have some say in the product as well. So when it's time to then launch a crowdfunding campaign, we've really, you know, brought the customer into that and they're, they're invested in it and they're part of the process, which I think is now today, you know, with, with crowdfunding, with social media, with having a direct connection with your customer it's, it's really like never before you can build a company that innovates based on the input of a customer in a way that you just couldn't do decades ago. You know, you've alluded to uh, a number of social dynamics going on, both with between you guys as a company and your customers. But I've also heard you talk quite a bit about uh, like your partner and the internal team, uh, the stuff you pay attention to. It feels like you have work habits that are that really are character driven habits things like you know humility to take the feedback as like a gift because it's going to actually make your product better and to constantly come back to those things and be driven towards creating something pretty special talk a little bit about the holistic community and the moment we're in and how important that is for kind of your own existential well-being as a as a leader when you don't always get great news but also 
in the moment that we're in culturally where people so feel so radically uh, connected yet can often feel lonely when they're trying to take on a project like you guys have. Mm-hmm. So there's a, some interesting points that you brought up to, to address. I think, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, our attitude about getting feedback, you know, from the community, et cetera. Uh, I think you, you have to early on as an entrepreneur, if I believe any successful entrepreneur and, and most entrepreneurs whatsoever, like become pretty, pretty comfortable with negative feedback and, and seek it out. Uh, and, and you have to kind of stop worrying about like what people think of you in order to pursue an entrepreneurial thread really seriously, because you're going to get, you know, you're going to, before you have a successful company, you're going to have a company that hasn't proven its success. You're going to go out to dinner with your wife and her friends and they're going to ask you about your company and they're going to be like, well, why is that a good thing? That Mm. sounds, you know, and they're going to not get it. And, and, you know, and that's going to happen a hundred times and you have to keep persevering through like your startup, even though people don't seem to get it and you do. Right. And you can't like let negative, you know, there's, you, you don't need every person in the world to get it. You just need some segment of your, of customers to get it in order for it to be a viable business. Um, so you start to learn that. And then you also start to learn, you know, there's a lot of feedback that isn't useful If people. There's a lot of people who just are never going to get what we do, right? For whatever reason, they just, they don't take notes. They don't get this. They think the world is going in a different direction than we think, whatever. We're never going to convert everybody, but the people who, you know, truly have a need or, or even a, a semblance of a need for what we do. Like we want to listen to them really closely and listen to their feedback. And we're really hungry and thirsty for it so that we can steer the product and the company towards something that, that matters to them. So, you know, it's, it's sometimes it can be hard to parse through a, a community of, of people, you know, you, their feedback isn't really that valid because they're just, they're not the right fit for what our product could ever be versus someone who you really want to listen to their negative feedback and take that uh, into account and use that to, to drive your decision making. And through all that, you just have to be, you have to be tenacious about seeking feedback, but also thoughtful about how you take that feedback and, and, um, and are influenced by it as well. It's funny. How, how big is your team? We have uh, 28 employees now. Okay. So there's a payroll. And um, with that crew, how do you foster a culture where, you know, that old phrase, uh, what's the phrase culture eats strategy for lunch? Like I think it's Peter Drucker. Uh, the idea that it, like, it's not just you and your founding partner that have to buy into these ideals. You have to train a whole posse of people. How do you, how do you build and sustain your culture at Rocketbook? Yeah. So I think we haven't done what many companies do, which is have like cultural statements of what they stand for. Well codified through, through our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, like we believe in, transparency and we believe in, you know, uh, um, honesty and candor and things like that. We, we haven't like codified it really, uh, like a lot of companies have done, but I think what, what we do pretty well, we're, we're still, we're right at that size of company, like where it's start, it's starting to feel a little bit big, but it's still intimate enough. Mm. You know, we've Jake and I, uh, have a few principles that we want this company to operate on that are really, really important. Like we always want to be testing and gathering data and, and understanding and refining products before, before we launch them. We don't just want to like 
make decisions based on our, our own personal intuition without running an A-B test or you know, using other methods and clever ways to test something out so we can get more data and make smarter decisions. And that's something that Jake feels really strongly about, I feel really strongly about, and we just kind of, we jump in and we, we jump into individual projects with, with each of our leaders and, and we make sure that they understand that and we, we just teach them by working together. And then our, our leaders start to understand that and take that on. And when they hire, they take a core principle like that and they make sure that the people they, they hire are, are behaving in that way as well. So I think it just starts from the founders and culture is just something that, you know, every organization takes on and it always starts with the founders. But we also have to be choosy about what we kind of mandate or teach or, or get involved in and like I want people to to care about like these certain principles, like like testing, like you know is one of them all the time. But I don't really need to be micromanaging all of the different ways that that they should be doing their job because ultimately I don't know as much about email marketing as Andy, who runs our amazing email marketing program. Mm-hmm. But I want her to know that I always want her to be testing. Always want her to be like. Don't ever send out a big email. Always test it first and then send it out to the big audience. And she's like, okay, I get it. And now she can do an amazing job with all the nuts and bolts of email marketing and keep in mind you know, the things that are important to our, our organization is to always be a learning organization. So it's a balance between you know, making sure we're, we're hands-on enough to, to spread the culture, the cultural aspects that we want to spread here, yet not be too involved where we're micromanaging and getting in the way uh, of people who have more expertise on on different subjects than we could ever have. Just curious, are there many virtual workers in your team? Or are they all in person? Uh, it's it's a hybrid. We we have um, a Boston office, but we don't mandate that anyone comes in. Me and Jay come in every, pretty much every day. We don't mandate that everyone does. Even people locally tend to only come in, you know, one or two days a week. Hmm. And then we do have people spread uh, throughout the world as well. So it's about Maybe 60% of our, our employees are, are in our headquarters area, but we run pretty much like a remote organization. But we also find that it's that sometimes on some subjects, it just helps so much to be able to get in a room and hash something out mm. or get in front of a whiteboard, right? Well, speaking of whiteboards, uh, let's transition because I want to talk about your newest project because I want to make sure people hear about it. But by the way, if you, if if uh, any of you are jumping in, you, you kind of fast forwarded to the end to hear this project. Don't miss the last little bit that, that Joe is sharing. It's so valuable for the kinds of projects you're in, especially if it's a physical project uh, or product uh, more than a service. But regardless, for for you guys at home to to really tune into the stages of development of where your business is at, and uh, the the tuning into your customer in the right way at the right timing. Uh, and and even to to however you're going to do it, build out your team with a, an agreed upon set of values, so that people feel empowered to take their skill set and put it to work in a way that that is in alignment with the culture that that the company is is producing it. But but don't I don't want to camp out there anymore because we we've covered that ground. Talk a little bit about the the newest Rocketbook project that you guys are doing. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah, so it's it's called uh, Whiteboard Beacons by Rocketbook, or Rocketbook Beacons for Whiteboards. Uh, so what beacons are, are these uh, triangular orange fluorescent stickers that you just slap on the corners of any ordinary whiteboard, and then 
now using our app, it gives it, you know, digital powers that are really helpful. So first and foremost, you can do anything you can do with a, a Rocketbook page. So as you scan it in with our app, you're prompted with, you know, seven shortcuts that are already predetermined to go to set locations that are handy for you. Hmm. But also when you scan it in, um, another person can look at it in real time using broadcast mode. So you might start to draw on your whiteboard, snap. Now anyone following along with the web browser can see that, can see your whiteboard, you know, do a few more things on it, snap. That web session is now updated. So it's, it's sort of like an almost real time version of a like go to meeting for, for whiteboards, but it involves no hardware whatsoever except for your iPhone and you know, four stickers that go in, in um, that we call beacons in the uh, corners of any whiteboard or any whiteboard wall. And of course, you can do things that can give it an automatic title. So throw a little a hashtag hashtag and say, you know, podcast with Dane, snap it, boom, it can go right to Slack. And that file, that PDF or that, that PNG will have that, that file name, podcast with Dane. Uh, write in the file name and transcribe your notes and and bring it wherever you want. So we're really we we went deep on you know how do we bring the Rocketbook experience to whiteboards, but also think about the the whiteboard experience, which tends to be collaborative, tends to be real time. And sometimes you got a person on the phone. Um, you're in a meeting with like three people, but one person's just on the phone, and you wish they could follow along. What's the simplest way to get the contents of your whiteboard? off of there and over to your teammates, be able to share it and, and spread it into your digital universe. So we like to say that there's all these smart boards out there that are thousands of dollars and it's like a $4 billion market where we're disrupting that with $12 stickers. See, that's my favorite part of the story. Like it's, there's gotta be some angry, angry smart board people out there <laughs> because you've just, you've just cut off 80% of the market for literally like a hundredth of the price. Like, it's just shocking that that clever kind of move. How have people responded to it so far? Oh, amazing. Um, we, we, we launched this and we had a, um, we, we predicted internally that we could sell 10,000, we could pre-sell 10,000 units. Um, and we've pre-sold over 30,000 units oh so gosh. far. And it's like amazing to see people just send the feedback that they've been sending. Like, finally a solution like this. I can't wait. Uh, and a lot of it has come from our, our fans as well, who you know are believers in our our previous product, and and of course are are now believers in in future products. So it's it's been amazing. I'm excited about it because it's yet another useful thing we can give to our current users and new users. That's going to make the rocket system something that you know removes friction from their everyday life of getting their handwritten thoughts and ideas into digital uh, workflows and digital you know realms where they can collaborate. Amazing. Well, I, I want to respect your time. Uh, please send my, my best to Jake and so grateful for you, Joe, for being here. Folks at home want to take a look at the entire Rocketbook line or even this particular, the new project that's out. Where should they go? To getrocketbook.com or is there a particular link? Yeah, you can do any Googling. Um, you get rocketbook.com is, is our website where you can check out our products. Pretty much all of our, um, our products for the most part, are available on Amazon, which I know is a place I love to shop as, as well. So feel free to check out Amazon, Google, or, or GetRockBook.com. Thank you. This was Episode 3, Season 5 of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to The Habit Course from TellMeYourDreams.com. 
TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at tellmeyourdreams.com. <laughs> 